our Lord and our God, King of the universe. Thankful for your power and your might. We ask, Lord, that you would be present with us and that you would speak to us directly from heaven. In Yeshua's holy name, amen. Our topic tonight is the last chapter of the book of Hosea. As we've seen through studying the book of Hosea, he starts off, God commands him to, to go and to marry uh, Homer, uh, who is a, uh, living a life of prostitution. And he obeys, and he does so, and she leaves it. They have a couple, few children together, and then she leaves him again, and God commands her, him, uh, Hosea to continue to love her. And... Uh, demonstrating God's great love for us. And we've seen throughout the chapters of, uh, of the ups and downs of the relationship of Israel with God. And it brings us to the last chapter, chapter 14. And God says, um, Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Say to him, take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not say to the works of our hands, you are our gods. And so he's calling for repentance. He's calling for true repentance. He's calling for biblical repentance. You've stumbled because of your iniquity. When we fall into iniquity, when we fall into sin, when we partake in, in sin and rebellion against God, it causes us to stumble in the way causes us to mess up in our lives. So he's calling them to return. To return to the Lord. What a gracious God. Chapter after chapter, Hosea prophesied for many years. The rebellion continued on, but the long suffering of God pleading for us to return. And then he tells us how to return. By asking for our sins to be taken away, our iniquity to be taken away, to be removed from us. And there's only way that there's only one way that past iniquities can be removed from our record. Now, by God's power and God's strength, we can have Him keep us from committing iniquity in the future. But the past sins are done. The past sins are committed. The wrongs have been done. And there's no way to undo those wrongs. There's no way to take back those words. There's no way to undo those feelings that we had. Those emotions that we had. Those wrong motives that we cherished. We can't go back in time and undo them. The hurts that we inflicted upon people sometimes are permanent in their lives. Sometimes the mistakes and the actions that we've committed cause things to happen that are not able to be reversed. We might have had to pay fines, we might have had to make restitution, but it doesn't necessarily undo what's been done. There is only one way to have our iniquities taken away. The Bible sanctuary service that God ordained and, and began really in, right outside the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve but was fully demonstrated in the time of Moses where God gave the instruction on how to build the sanctuary. 
continued on and was elaborated upon by Solomon and then continued until about 2,000 years ago. And he had us, every day there were offerings for sin. There burnt offerings taking place. Whether anyone came to the sanctuary or not. A covering of grace. A covering of forgiveness upon all people. Of God's demonstrating love. All pointing forward to the Messiah who would come and be that sacrifice for us. Without anyone bringing him as the sacrifice. The lambs are sacrificed every day. But when we committed a specific sin, when we committed a specific act, or held a specific thought that was in rebellion against God, was out of harmony with his word, was out of harmony with his will, it was our responsibility to bring a specific sacrifice. And sacrifice it there in the sanctuary. And our sins would symbolically transfer from us to the sacrifice and the sacrifice would receive the punishment instead of us as our substitute. And he would be killed there in the sanctuary. And the sins were forgiven, removed from us and placed into the sanctuary. It's only one way. Without the, remission, without the shedding of blood, the Torah tells us, there is no remission of sins. God has given only one way. When Adam and Eve came out of the Garden of Eden, he gave the sacrifice for them. Presented a sacrifice for them. And then God clothed them with the very skins of those sacrifices. It's the same today. We need a sacrifice in our behalf. And God has provided the lamb for his sacrifice. And we can receive of that and our iniquity is taken away. It's blotted off of the record books. It's removed from us. Not only from our record books in heaven, but it's removed from our conscience here as well. It's removed from our habits here. It's removed from our hearts and our desires here when we allow God to take it away from us and to place it upon the Lamb of God. Take our sins away, take our iniquity away, and receive us graciously. And God's the one who's inviting us to return to him, so he does. He receives us graciously. And we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. God is not just looking for just a sacrifice. He's not just looking for a burnt offering. He does not enjoy the blood of bulls or goats. That's not what he's looking for. He's not looking for a sacrifice. He's looking for a changed heart. And out of the abundance of the heart, so the mouth speaks. And if our heart is changed, our voices will change. Our tones will change. Our words will change. How we talk, how we speak about others, and our intents will change. We will offer the sacrifices of our lips. They'll be acceptable unto God. God will change us. Change our minds. Change our thinking. Change our negative talk to hopeful talk. Change our doubt and our discouragement and our despair to praise and to trust and to faith. He gives us new tongues. And we'll speak with new tongues. We'll speak new words. 
with new attitudes coming from heaven, we will speak God's blessings upon others. Instead of cursings, we'll speak blessings. Instead of discouraging words and doubtful words, we'll speak words of hope and blessings and encouragements. And out of our mouths will flow fragrance of love. She's talking about full repentance taking place here. A full returning to God. And then the, end, then the result is, verse 3, Assyria shall not save us. We will not say to the works of our hands, you are our gods. So change coming out of their lips. A change out of their hearts, a new heart. God takes out the old heart. God puts in a new heart. It's miraculous. The change that takes place is absolutely miraculous. Over the last few weeks, I told you about a young uh, lady who's been writing to me. It started with resisting giving up this computer game, this wizard thing or whatever. And I don't know if anyone told her to give it, but she was obviously convicted. It came to her mind to give this thing up. And she resisted it. She came up with all these reasons not to give it up. And then tried to give it up in her own strength and didn't give it up. And then surrendered it to God. And God gave her the victory. Well, since that time, that took several weeks of just wrestling back and forth in her mind. And her talking to herself, basically. Arguing it out. But after she finally gave that up, it's been immediate that just she's now been giving up other things. One thing after another. She's writing me almost every day. God's giving me victory over this now. God's giving me victory over this now. Changing what she's putting into her mouth, changing what she's doing, changing who she's talking to, changing her associations and things. She's changing a lot of things. And gaining the victory much easier than over that game. She's gaining the victory. In some areas she's tried for a long time, but she's learned how to do it. How to return to God. She changed her, her email address to something that was just something but just something that represents God. She's got a new life. And she wants that to be known even in her email name. Because God put the, the promises of give us a new name. She took a new name for herself because the change is so radical in her life. Now she's emailing how happy she is almost every day. I am so happy. The things that God is doing in her life. She knew all these things before. But it was putting the repentance into practice. In allowing God to remove it. And allowing God to empower her to change. It makes all the difference in the world. We can try and try and try in our own strength. But when we let God do it, all his power is available to us. And then the change takes place. Assyria shall not save us. Instead of relying on other people, relying on other things, relying on other armies, relying on this habit or, or this, this technique to try and break that habit, we rely on God. It's not a self-help thing. It's not a ten steps. It's a surrendering to God, allowing him to take us, remove us, bury us away, and create a new heart, new life in us. And joy comes forth. We will not say to the works of our hands, you are our gods. A change takes place. 
And they acknowledge it openly and outwardly. Acknowledging Syria will not save us. False gods will not save us. Only the Lord God will save us. A change takes place in the mind, in the life, in the heart, in the desires, and in the outward actions as well. It's not changing the outward actions that makes us acceptable to God. It's allowing God to change us on the inside. I think it's a tendency we have as human beings to think that God just wants us to change on the outside, that he wants us to be obedient to him because that somehow makes God happier. Majority of religions, if not all the other religions other than a, a right biblical religion, teaches that our actions, changing our actions, is to make God happy. To appease an angry God. That we have to obey him like, like a, a, a tyrant human wants us to obey him. And that's, that's the picture we get of our, the false gods out there because we look at human beings. A controlling parent wants the kid to obey him because he wants power. Or his spouse, the spouse to obey him because he wants power and control over them. Dictators, they want control. They want people to obey them so they feel better, they feel powerful. All the dictators down through the ages. So they don't want to be voted out. They want to stay in power and control everything. And kill off and push away any threat to their throne. The kings and the monarchs protecting it from generation to generation. And so people, humans get this picture that that's what God must be like. And we paint God that way. God does not want us to obey him to make him happy. God's not on a power trip. God doesn't need his ego stoked by us. We are so vain, we think God's emotions are based on our obedience. We're so self-centered. We think, oh, if I just say the right prayers enough times, that's what God wants of me. And so I'll just say them over and over and over again, and, and if three makes him happy, then six or seven times will make him, you know, just so happy. Or, or a fasting, I'll fast, and that'll make God happy, and I will just look so miserable, and I will be so miserable, and if I don't eat for all this time, oh, he will be so happy that I am miserable. <laughs> or I'll go sit on some totem pole out in some wilderness somewhere, and hum, make some noises, hum some things, and that's what will make him happy. <laughs> Counting beads, as if that gets us anywhere, so we just count these beads over and over and over again. And that's what God wants. And if we say the same thing to the same bead enough times, maybe he'll finally calm down and be nice. It'll appease his anger. But that's what we think. That's humanity, that's the history of humanity. Search out sociology, religions, down past religions, current religions, even some that claim to follow the Bible. Why does God want us to obey Him? Because He loves us. And He knows what He has written for us to obey will make 
us happy. And God is happy when we are happy. Not in false happiness, which comes from disobedience, which causes us to stumble, but the happiness that comes in obedience to Him. And the obedience that come to Him comes from having Him remove our iniquities, wash them away, and allowing Him to fill us with His Spirit. And His Spirit then moves us into obedience. And having His Spirit inside us fills us with joy. And that we joyfully and willingly and easily obey what He's told us to do. And then it doesn't cause us to stumble. It causes us to go to victory, to victory, to victory. And when he sees us experiencing that kind of life, he's happy for us. He's happy for us. Like a parent watching the child on some special occasion in their life, their bar mitzvah or pop mitzvah or their immersion or their their wedding to a good person <laughs> and they're happy for them and God is happy for us when we walk in his ways because he knows that's what's best for us you know I ask my kids to, to brush their teeth and, and I'm happy when they obey me and they brush their teeth why? Because it makes me feel powerful that I got them to brush their teeth? <laughs> or because I want them to not have cavities? Because I want them to not feel the pain of a cavity, right? Because I want them to have teeth that last a long time, right? I'm wanting it for them. And so I'm happy when they're doing that for them. Not for me. I'd save a lot of money on toothpaste if they didn't do it. You know, I mean, it would know, be a lot easier. God is happy for us when we obey Him. Verse 4. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily. Who's doing all the work here? God. I will heal their backsliding. It's not, oh, I've got to stop backsliding and I've got to you know, get my life on the right. God will heal our backsliding. He will turn us to Him. He will love us freely. He will receive us graciously. And He will be like the dew to us. He'll sprinkle His grace upon us. He'll sprinkle His fresh dew upon us. And that will cause us to grow. And grow like the lily. We grow in his word. We grow in obedience to him. We grow in stature with God and with man. We grow in his grace by him healing our backsliding. By him loving us freely. And us opening our hearts to his love. And him pouring out his dew upon us. His love, his grace, his goodness, his peace, his joy. And it causes us to grow like the lilies. How do lilies grow? Have you ever seen lilies grow? I used to live in a place, this picture is not of that place, but the lilies were as thick as that. Right outside the window, I was on the second floor, and there was this brick wall there, and in front of it were these tiger lilies. 
And they were so thick, there were no weeds ever in that, those tiger lilies. They grew thick. And they spread out. They multiplied. And stayed together. And produced these beautiful flowers. For months. Beautiful, beautiful lily flowers. Will grow like the lilies. We will prosper. We will multiply. We will spread out. We will grow thick and strong. And continuously. And in the summer they had the beautiful flowers. In the winter they stayed green. Beautiful. Will grow like the lilies. That's what God wants for us. To be beautiful for Him. And when we're happy in Him, make others happy. Lilies make other people happy. Lilies don't become beautiful for themselves. They don't even become beautiful for other lilies. God makes lilies beautiful for us. We'll grow thick like the lily. Verse 5, and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his fragrance like Lebanon. Like the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon, so where the lilies get multiple roots, multiple bulbs, and just spread out that way. The cedars of Lebanon, their roots go down and go down deep and thick, deep into the dirt, deep into the ground. We've got the sequoia trees out in California. They don't get deep roots. They get wide roots. They stay up because they, they connect together. When they started cutting some of them down, then they found the strong wind would come and blow other ones down because they didn't have anyone to hold on to anymore. But the cedars of Lebanon, they grow strong root systems down into the ground, a, down, a strong foundation. We will lengthen our roots. We will grow more and more in God. We will get deeper and deeper into his word. We will not shy away from it as we return to him. This is a wonderful, wonderful prophecy of what God was going to do. He ends the book of Hosea. Rebellious Israel, who a few years after Hosea dies, stops prophesying, are taken captive by the Syrians and dispersed, and then those ten northern tribes never seen together ever again as, as individual tribes, or even as a group. But God's prophesying that a returning will take place, that a healing will take place, and that we will grow like the lilies. And we will set our roots down deep into the soil. Deep into God. Deep into God's word. Strong and firm. And when the winds of strife and the winds of trouble and the winds of problem come to us, we'll remain standing. We won't get pushed over. Some of the cedars in Lebanon are over 2,000 years old. Standing through time holding fast. Lengthen our roots. We need to grow in God and not just plateau, not just be happy with our spiritual walk, but grow deeper and deeper with Him. Our branches shall spread. The cedars of Lebanon, the wide branches, great for shade, producing shade and blessing others, growing tall and deep and wide. Producing cooling shade for the people and the animals. Being a blessing to others. 
Just as the lilies are a blessing to others, the cedar is a blessing to others. And producing sweet fragrance that disperses around. The cedar is very resistant to bugs and disease. Fragrance of Lebanon. God will make us sweet-smelling and resistant to decay. Resistant to the bugs that bite us, try and destroy us, and annoy us. So the strong, heavy winds that try and bring us down, and the little, annoying problems that try and bring us down. God can make us strong like the cedars of Lebanon. His beauty shall be like the olive tree. Those who dwell under his shadow shall return. The olive tree. Also with branches dwelling under the olive tree. And returning to God. And I think of the olive grove on the base of the Mount of Olives. Where Yeshua brought his disciples. And where he prayed earnestly three times for the Father to remove the cup of God's wrath and accepted God's will and was willing to receive the wrath of God by receiving our iniquity. He poured out, he prayed so earnestly there and so intensely that his sweat became blood. Blood pressure became so high, blood dripped from his forehead and onto the ground. And that's where he spiritually died. Died to the self. And died to the flesh. Once and for all. Received God's cup. Was able to go and die for us. As a lamb before the slaughter opening not his mouth. And yet he has returned. He who dwells under his shadow shall return. We come under God's presence, praying and surrendering, giving our lives over to him, resisting the flesh, praying even earnestly to the point of death not my will not my natural desires not my selfish desires but God your will and your will only be done we will return he will bring us back to life and he will bring us unto himself the beauty his beauty shall be like the olive tree now as you look at an olive tree they're not usually that beautiful as far as symmetry, you know, like a conifer tree or something like that. They're, they're all different shapes. They're all kind of crazy shapes. They're, 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 don't have, they're not smooth skinned. They don't have a pretty bark to them. They're gnarled. They look like they're just old and crackety and broken and twisted. And, but there's a unique beauty in that. They're unique. Each one is different. Each one's beautiful in that way. And God makes us beautiful in our uniqueness. 
God makes us beautiful in our twisted up lives. God makes us beautiful with our gnarled ends and knotty problems. God makes us beautiful. And the olive tree, it's not really green. The leaves aren't really green. They're kind of a grayish. Because all the tannin in them. And yet, in, in contrast, when they're set alongside green trees, you know, uh, uh, cedars or, or evergreen trees, they stand out in a beautiful contrast to that. Or the green grass, the bright green grass, and, and then you get this tint of gray there, tint of silver there. It's quite stunning. It's quite beautiful. His beauty shall be like an olive tree. God wants to make us beautiful in his eyes. The world might not think it's so beautiful. It might not fit in with the rest of the crowd. It might be unique. But God counts it beautiful. They shall be revived like grain. Boy, one promise after another. If we return to him, he'll do all these things for us. He will heal us. He'll make us, like, he'll make us grow. He'll pour his dew upon us. He'll pour his love upon us. He'll make us strong. He'll make us beautiful. And he'll revive us. We'll have a revival in our lives. We'll have a new energy and a new purpose. New desires. And we'll know why we are alive. Why God has placed us here. And we won't be afraid if our time is up then to let go. We'll be revived in him. Revived like the grain. Well, the grains don't live 2,000 years. The olive trees also, like the cedars, live a very, very long time. But the grains don't live that long. But they produce seeds. And those seeds die. They wither up and they die. And they fall to the ground. They get buried in the soil. They're watered with the dew of God. And then they revive. And they come back to life the next year. Amazing. Amazing. And that's what God wants to do for us. As we die, surrender our sinful, carnal, natural selves to Him. Not try and remake them not try and pretty them up. Not try and put perfume on cow manure. But to take it away, bury it away. Let it be dead in the Messiah. And allow him to revive a new life. A totally new life. A totally changed life. We'll be revived like the grain. And the grain's also like in that picture just united together like the lilies, spreading forth and producing lots of fruit, just like the olive tree and lots of grains on each ear. God will make us fruitful for him. Verse 7, And grow like a vine, and they're sent like the juice of Lebanon. Growing like a vine. And the vine's like the branches spreading out. Now, in order for the grapevines to grow and to produce fruit, 
every year, they have to be cut back. Trimmed almost to nothing. Trimmed almost bare. We have basically just the trunk and just a couple of branches that you've chosen. Everything else gets cut back. And in the spring and summer, it shoots off lots of more branches with lots of fruit. And the next winter, the vine dresser has to come and prune off all the excess again. It's a continual process with us. We grow in God, allowing him to prune off what's unnecessary and keeping the choice that we may produce fruit for him. God wants us to become fruit producers for him. And our scent will be like that of Lebanon. God wants us to produce fruit. To be fruitful for him. Blessing others. When we think of fruit on a, on a plant, if you, you look at the root, it mentioned the root, the deep roots. Well, if you take the root of a plant and you cut it off from the rest of the plant, what happens to the plant? It dies. The plant needs the root. Right? The, the trunk of the tree gives it the structure, stands it up, right? If you take away the trunk of the tree, what happens to the tree? It dies. Mention the branches. Spread out as branches. That's another part of the tree. Or plant. Branches. If you cut off all the branches off most trees, most plants, what happens to them? They die. Sometimes they'll get new ones, but if they're not getting any sunlight, they'll die. But what about the fruit? So the tree, the plant needs all of those things to survive. It needs the branches and the leaves, it needs the trunk, it needs the roots. But does a plant need fruit for itself? No. You can take all the fruit off a tree, you can take all the olives off a tree, you can take all the grapes off the grapevine, will it die? It has a little smile. No. It has a little smile. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. It doesn't produce fruit for itself. It produces fruit to bless others. It produces fruit to pass it on to the next generation. God made it so that it produces fruit for people and animals. It produces fruit for others, not for itself. And we will live for others. Some plants... Like, like a tomato plant. If you take a tomato plant, you know, a little thin little tomato plant, you take all the tomatoes off a tomato plant that produced a good crop that year, and you weighed all those tomatoes on a scale, and you took the plant, pulled it up out of the dirt, roots and all, and put it on the other side of the scale, which do you think would weigh more? The tomatoes. And so it puts all of its energy into producing the fruit that doesn't even help it live. And that's what God has done for us. He has poured all of his energy out upon us. And as we connect in with God and unite in with him, he will make us fruitful and we will grow like the vine and produce fruit for him, being a blessing to others. And when we're filled with God and God causes us to be a blessing to others, we are happy. It makes us happy. That is not natural. 
to bless other people, put other people first, in the carnal nature, it does not make you happy. You can read that in the Bible, well, if I bless others, blessed are those who give, and more, that's a good, more blessed are those who give than those who receive. And if you take that and you put it in your own strength, and okay, I want to, you know, have that blessedness, and so I'm just going to give. And just give and give and give until it hurts. And you'll have a lot of hurt. You will be miserable. You will not be happy. But when we connect in with God, we return to God, we let Him take away the iniquity, we let Him take away the carnal nature, we let Him take the sinful heart away, put it in Yeshua and bury it away, and allow Him to place His heart in us. It's amazing. All of a sudden, we have a cheerful, happy, charitable heart. A giving heart that wants to do for others, who wants to give for others, and when we have that heart and we do for others, somehow it makes us happy. It's miraculous. It's miraculous. The funny thing on the, on, the, on the carnal nature side, or in our carnal nature, if we try and give to others to make us happy, it doesn't make us happy. It makes us more miserable. But the funny thing is, is if we then try and keep for ourselves, thinking that'll make us happy, that doesn't make us happy either. <laughs> it makes us miserable too. Because it's, it's just addictive, and then we want more and more and more, and we're never satisfied, and we're never happy with it. So the only way to re reach the goal of true happiness it's allow God to remove the sin sinful nature and allow him to fill us with himself and allow him to heal us and to pour out his love upon us pour out dew upon us and allow him to make us like lilies and like grapevines and like cedars and like grain that produce fruit naturally and joyfully for others Verse 8, Ephraim will say, what have I to do with idols? So again, this turning away, this repentance, what do I have to do with those things? I don't want those things, those things I once loved, those things I once worshipped, those things I used to work to death to have, those things of the world that I used to just be so addicted to and had to go home and do, get on the computer and had to do this and had to, for this, these things, and couldn't stop doing it, couldn't stop saying it, couldn't stop wanting it. Well, all of a sudden say, what do I have to do with those things? Boy, was that stupid I spent all that time on that. Boy, was that stupid I spent all that time on that. Boy, what a waste of time. What a waste of life. What a waste of energy. What a waste of my health. We'll be able to say, what have I to do with you? You idols. I've heard and observed him. I'm not sure if that's God responding to Ephraim. I've heard you, and I've observed you. Or, Ephraim saying to God, we've heard you, and we're observing you. I'm like a green cypress tree, alive. Alive and fresh. And our fruit is found in God. Right? So I could be saying to God, God, your fruit is found in me. Or God then responding, you're just a tender cypress tree, but yes, your fruit is found in me. Either way, it's God's blessings upon us. Verse 9. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Lord says to us. Who is wise, understand these things. Prudent, know these things. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in God's ways. God's ways are right. We can look at the Bible and say, well, I don't know about that. I don't think so. Maybe back then, maybe for somebody else, this is really not too bad. It doesn't really affect me. It's just a game. It's just a thing. It's just a, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is partaking of it. Nothing bad's happened to them. We can say all we want. But the ways of the Lord are right. And they're right for us. They're not right for God. Again, my kids brushing their teeth. Don't make my teeth whiter. <coughs> it's not how it works. So us obeying God doesn't make God holier. Us obeying God doesn't make God better. They are right. And it makes us righteous. And it makes us happy. The righteous walk in them. We will say with our lips, what do we have to do with you idols? We're not going to follow the Syrians. We're not going to follow their ways. We're not going to follow these idols anymore. We're not going to trust in them. We will, our voice, our words will be different and our walk will be different as well. Our actions will be different as well. We, the righteous will walk in them. We will walk in God's path. He will empower us to do so. But transgressors stumble in the very same words. The very same words of the Bible. The very same instructions. To one will be right and righteous and will propel us forward, cause us to be fruitful and happy and strong and beautiful. And the transgressors will look at that and they'll stumble in their iniquity. They'll hold on to the sins. They'll hold on to the rebellion against God. Hold on to our own opinion over God's opinion. And it will cause us to stumble. The same words. The same Bible. Just as the same sun in the sky hardens clay, hardens mud, and melts wax. The same God the same loving God will cause us to be joyful and happy and righteous, cheerful, victorious. And those same words will cause others to stumble and fall because they resist the clear, plain path of God. Somehow we maybe prefer just saying the same rote prayers over and over again. Maybe somehow we prefer in our carnal nature just to count beads or to fast every so often or to afflict ourselves. And maybe somehow that seems easier as long as we can continue in our wrong habits, in our wrong ways. When God's way is so much easier and so much better for us and for all those around us. So we have a choice. The whole world has a choice. This is how Hosea ends. These wonderful promises for Israel. 
these wonderful promises for us. So what do we choose? Do we want to be beautiful in Him? Do we want to be fruitful in Him? Do we want to grow like the lily, strong like the cedar, revived like the grain? Do we want to receive of His love, receive of His due, to be loved by Him freely, to have Him heal us, to have Him cause us to walk in His ways? Do we want to follow Him? Do we want to walk with Him? Do we want to sing of His praises? Are we willing to let go of the things of this world? willing to surrender the carnal heart. We're willing to let go of the habits and the, the attachments to this world and surrender fully to Him. We're willing to return unto God and allowing Him to change us. We're willing to accept His sacrifice in our behalf for the removal of our sins for the removal of the carnal nature. Nor are we willing and desiring to be born anew in Him today and every day. He'll give us that choice every day. So we pray together. Let's make our choices. Hopefully for God. So we pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we're thankful for these wonderful promises for Israel that you're fulfilling right now before our eyes. And these promises apply to each and every person in this world who's willing to accept them. Lord, we're thankful for these promises. We're thankful that you are a consistent God and a loving God. We're thankful that you're reaching out to us and calling us to return unto you. Lord, draw us with your love. Lift us up by your hand. Turn us away from the things of this world. The relying on the Assyrians and the relying on the idols. The relying on the things of this world. The people of this world. The money of this world. And may we trust in you. In Yeshua's holy name. Make us beautiful in you. Strong in you. Revived in you. Fruitful in you. Branching out in you. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.